judgment is not actually God's final word to His people. You know that? Sinners must be punished. The wicked will be punished. It is what it's going to be. Hazel, as you know, I listened to Martin Lloyd-Jones this week. I listened to a sermon today. I was telling Andrew, um, Martin Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones preached 360 some, 366 sermons just from the book of Romans. Most of his preaching in the book of Romans, it was almost verse by verse by verse. And um, when on Sunday in Sunday school, because Mike Harrison will be here all day Sunday, so he'll be preaching in the morning and he'll be preaching in, in the evening. But I'll be preaching, sun, teaching Sunday school. And my text for Sunday school is verse 18. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Martin Jones preached for nearly now about 50 minutes on these words, the wrath of God. That's all. He didn't even go past that little statement in, in, um, in that verse. And I sat there at my desk and listened to the sermon. And I, I took notes and I used his sermon as a commentary in just gathering information. And I was, I was utterly fed and blessed through that teaching. And um, I don't know why I'm telling you that, but if you can check out his website, they've got a website for Martin, Martin Jones sermons. They're, they're amazing. Your brother, I think you said, went and would listen to him on a Friday night and teaching and he, uh, I think he was your neighbor, and his secretary goes over to Gunnersby, and it's it. You read about these people that God used, and and you just don't think they're like around. They've been here, and it's amazing stuff. Anyway, that's me doing what my kids would call what, uh, fan. No, I don't fangirl. So fanboying. So I was fanboying Martin Lloyd Jones. Brilliant teaching solid biblical stuff the thing that struck me the most was he ended this sermon now, i don't know if this is typical but he ended the sermon with giving about 20 odd scripture references to to back up the whole teaching about the wrath of god just amazing stuff micah chapter 2 verse 12 and 13 we have covered where micah has said listen to me israel Listen to God. He has words for you to hear that will not be good. And we went through the judgment, how God is going to bring judgment upon Samaria and Judah because of their sin of idolatry. And, and with, with Samaria, the ten northern tribes of Israel, God is going to utterly destroy them, completely flatten them to the ground, and they will be taken into captivity and will be assimilated into the Assyrian people and later will become the half-breed Samaritan people that the Jews hate, and they would have to go around Samaria to go from the southern part of Judea up into Jerusalem. They hated the, each other so much. But also, the prophecy goes on to the two tribes of Judah, Benjamin and Judah. That would be Jerusalem and the 46 cities surrounding Jerusalem. Now, the judgment to them 
would not be ultimately fulfilled until the Bab- Babylonian captivity around 600 B.C., I think. But in 701 B.C., 700-701 B.C., Sennacherib, on a 20-odd-year j- mission of destruction, made his way down from Samaria and into Judah, and he, he destroyed about 26-odd cities, I believe, or more, and he, he brought his military might to the very gates of Jerusalem. It stopped there. God providentially defeated that army, and tens of thousands of the Assyrian army were killed. Sennacherib ran back home, and he was eventually killed, I think, by his sons, I think. Anyway, all of that is being foretold in this book of Micah. But, as we've said before, Micah, six chapters, I believe, chapters one and two are a section, three three and, how many chapters in Micah? Then it'll tell me. Ah, seven. Chapters one and two are section one, three, four, and five are section two, six and seven are section three. Out of each section of the three, each section's divided into three. A, a call to listen, a judgment of the people, and then hope. And tonight we're going to look at the first section of hope, verse 12 and 13. I will surely assemble, I will surely assemble, O Jacob, all of thee. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. I will put them together as the sheep of Basra, as the flock in the midst of their fold, They shall make great noise by reason of the multitude. The breaker is come up before them. They have broken up, have passed through the gate, and are gone out by it. And their king shall pass before them, and the Lord on the head of them. Now, you and I probably don't get a lot of hope out of that. In the English translation, we probably do not get the depth of the the meaning and the power of the words as the Hebrews would have gotten, but there is great hope in those scriptures tonight. God's final word, like I said before, is not judgment to his people. It is redemption. However, that was the ultimate goal, but they wouldn't see it at first. Let me read my statement again. Judgment is not God's final word to his people. Sinners must be punished. Redemption, however was the ultimate goal. And do you know what? With all punishment, it is not out of glee, I'm going to smash you, I'm going to punish you, I'm going to break you. There's no glee and joy there. It's all about turning the people toward God, is it not? And even even when we discipline children, it is not about the discipline of the pain, and I'm going to show you. It is actually to turn their heart and to get them to understand it's wrong and you need to repent, you need to change, you need to look look to your mom and dad, look to God. And even in this, it wasn't about smashing them. It was about redemption. And in these two verses, in this first section of hope, let me read it to you like this. You, You get a better sense of the hope for the future of God's people. Someday, Israel... I will gather you. I will gather the remnant who are left. I will bring you together again like sheep in a pen. 
like a flock in its pasture. Yes, your land will again be filled with noisy crowds. Your leader will break out and lead you out of exile, out through the gates of the enemy cities, back to your own land. Your king will lead you. The Lord himself will guide you. Father, as we look at your word tonight, help us, be with us, bless us, encourage our hearts, even, even from this Old Testament scripture, for Lord, we know who it speaks of. And so help us tonight, O oh God, in Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, I've told you I've, I've, I've been looking at a lot of Jewish books lately, and, and I've got my a Jewish Bible and a Jewish commentary on the, the, the minor prophets. And what I've come to the conclusion is, and it says in the, in the books, the rabbis don't agree on the meaning of this text, just like a lot of Christian theologians don't always agree on the meaning of scriptural text. And some of that reason, some of the reasoning is this, not all theologians will be believers in Christ and in God. They won't, they won't believe. They will look at it as, as just black words on a white page and, and it doesn't, they don't see the connection and they don't have the Holy Spirit helping them to understand and, and know what the Word says. And I told you about the, the, um, uh, one of the head leading theologians in America, Bart Ehrman, Ehrman is his name. And, and he grew up in a Christian home, but he's completely apostatized, apostatized. He's left the faith. He's completely turned his back. He does not believe in God or, the, or Jesus Christ or anything. And yet, he still teaches about the Bible. And basically what he teaches is, it's not true and you can't believe it. And I don't understand how he spends his entire life being a religious professor in a university. But there are commentaries like that, right? There are theologians like that. And even in within in Jewish theologians, there would be Jewish theologians that really hold to the Jewish teaching. And then there'll be liberal ones who don't hold to that Jewish teaching. And so they don't all agree on what the meaning of these two verses are. Some explain these verses as simply consolation and encouragement, that God is assuring the people that although they will be punished and be exiled from their land and will be away from their land, in the end of days he will gather them together and bring them back to the land of Israel whose cities will teem with people. Now, that's how I hold to this scripture. And I see in this, it's not just a king, but it is a God king. It is Jesus Christ. It is the Messiah. Another explanation from a Jewish rabbi would be that these verses are simply a continuation of the somber feeling that something bad is going to happen. I don't understand how they get that from these verses, but like a, there's a fearful apprehension of the prophecies that are foretelling a catastrophic event that is coming to the Jewish people. The people will flee and take refuge in their strongholds due to the fear of the attacking enemy. I don't see that, do you? I, I see hope in these two verses. I see great hope in these two verses. But there is another uh, thought on these two verses that, that I could see how people might think this. You remember, we taught recently that 
part of the false prophets' problem in what they were doing is they, they would say to the people, uh, I know Isaiah is telling you judgment's coming. I know Jeremiah is telling you you're in trouble. Don't listen to them. God loves you. God's going to take care of you. God's going to watch over you. And some take this as the false prophets trying to give the people a false hope. When you begin to study that, you cannot see that whatsoever. I see the Messiah. I see hope to these people. And it comes kind of in a two, two ways, two portions. Two, there's, there's two kind of levels of the redemption and the hope that is coming here. Certainly, it is talking about their freedom from exile. Okay? It's talking about their freedom from uh, uh, the, the, the Babylonian exile that will come much, much later. It is talking about the regathering of the physical people in a land, but it's talking much, much more than just about that. The real context of the hope and what the prophet is talking about in these verses is future. And really, it is the millennial kingdom because they haven't been completely regathered yet, have they? They don't have a king, do they? They've been in the land and out of the land and in the land and out of the land. And guess what? And this might blow some of your minds, but, but there are some, and I'm not sure where I stand on this yet, but there are some that believe that Israel could actually still go into another captivity. Have you heard about that theory? Most of us think that Israel is in the land now, and they're going to stay in the land, and Messiah is getting ready to blow the trumpet, or the angel is going to blow the trumpet, and the Lord's going to come down and from glory any time now. But there are some Christian people who teach that there's a possibility yet that Israel could be taken back into captivity. I mean, look at them. I don't know where I stand on this yet. You know who teaches this, don't you? Pastor Clear. Pastor Clear also teaches a different uh, crucifixion spot and a different um, uh, spot where the temple is at and all kinds of things. And again, I just nod and smile. But this, this teaching is out there. And, and uh, what was I getting ready to say? Ah, yes, thank you. Look at the people. <laughs> Friends are all around them, right? Israel's surrounded by friends, aren't they? Well, yeah, Syria, Jordan, Egypt. Everywhere they look, except behind them, is enemy. And behind them is the Mediterranean Sea, right? Isn't that the Mediterranean? I hope so. Sorry? Oh, yeah. But it's off a little bit. But it's back there, isn't it? Everywhere they look, they're surrounded by enemies. And these are enemies that just dislike them. These are enemies that want them destroyed. Y you know? And so the idea is there. And when you read these verses, and if you read them as a Jewish man, knowing that, that there has been promised someone, a king, a lord, a Hashem, Andrew, from the Jewish Bible... To know that there is someone that has been promised by God to come and save them is great hope, is it not? 
Unfortunately, the Jews have missed the Messiah. Their eyes are blinded. He has come, and He is preparing for the ultimate redemption of them in the future. When you see in these two verses, and again you read verses 12 and 13, you will get two very clear thoughts out of this. Number one, the Lord God is going to regather and renew His people as their shepherd. He is going to gather a people who has placed their faith in Messiah. See, it's not that God is just going to gather up a bunch of Jews and put them in the land again. Eventually, it will be only those who look to the Messiah for salvation. It, it can only be that. Because that is the only ultimate redemption and salvation. There will be a Jewish people under God, but it will be those that God gathers because they have faith in Him. Micah gives the people hope. They're going into judgment, and that's a done deal. But they do not go in without hope. There's a really, there's a English pastor, a preacher, I don't know if he's still alive or not, but his name is James Smith. And I have got, I've got to the point where I really enjoy reading him. And he says this, even in this note of hope, the word remnant rings ominous. The faithful, now listen to this. He says that he's going to gather himself out a remnant. Not the whole, but a remnant. The faithful must share the temporal judgment of exile to foreign lands with the wicked. For the faithful, there was hope that someday that good shepherd would gather them together. Now I want you to look at your Bible, verse 12, real quick. When we read verse 12, we see two words. We see two words. We see the word assemble, and we see the word gather. Do you see those? If you like to write in your Bible, you ought to circle those two words. Because it just doesn't simply mean, oh, that God's just going to go get some people. The word assemble in the Hebrew means this. It, it, it is used when something is gathered from one particular area and is brought into another area. Now, when Assyria came down and conquered Israel, the ten northern tribes, they took them as a whole, assimilated them into their people. This verse, this word, simply means this. It is a reference to the ten tribes of the northern kingdom who were exiled. They were taken as a whole. And God said, I am going to assemble you back again. Uh, it's, it's, I'm going to gather you from a particular area and bring you in to another place. Now the word gather is a different Hebrew word altogether. And it means when when you are gathering objects that are scattered all about. What happened to Judah? They were scattered. What is Micah the prophet saying? Micah the prophet is saying, I don't care where you are, and I don't care what enemy has conquered you, and I don't care how badly scattered or taken as a whole that you are. This one who is coming 
has the power and the authority and the ability to wherever you are, He will gather you back together again. Amen? This is a people who are coming under the judgment of God. And Mike is telling them, hey, your God, no matter how bad it's going to get, is able to regather you in. I read that and that gave me great hope. You know, no matter how bad it is, he's going to gather his people, whether they are scattered abroad across the face of the earth or whether they are taken as a whole into a place of captivity. God can reach and find them. And let's just think about what he does today. The Bible says that from every tongue and every kindred and every nation and every people, what is God doing today? He is saving people. He is gathering and, 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 and bringing into the kingdom from all over the world. Amen? That is what he does. Ultimately, this will happen when God regathers Israel into the millennial kingdom. But he, here he says, not only, not only will he assemble them, not only will he, he gather them, but look what he says, I will put them together. I will bring them into a certain place. That term, put them together, simply means they shall be united. They shall be together as one people again. Israel, when they went into captivity, those who believed the prophets, they went into captivity believing that God was going to come and unite them together again as one people. Assemble, gather, and yet bring them together as one. When you carry on in verse 12, you will find some great meaning here in concerning the gathering of the remnant. There are three things that Micah the prophet explains to those people going into you know, the northern tribes being ca uh, conquered by Assyria, then eventually Judah going into Babylonian captivity. H here's what he says. In that verse 12, when he says, I will gather you together as sheep in Basra, as flock in the midst of the fold, and, shall, and, and there shall make a great noise because of the reason of the multitude of men. That is that confusing to anybody here? There's great meaning in these verses. There's three things that are listed here that, that God says that He is going to do for the remnant of His people by the hand of the Messiah. And we'll get to that, who it is in a moment. Firstly, He says, I will gather you together, I will assemble you together like sheep of the fold. Now, in my King James Bible, it uses the word basra. What what does what does your Bible say there? Is it basra, sheep of the fold? What does it say? Oh, you have the King James. I'm half. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that's King James Pew Bibles. So it says basra. Now, to me, basra is just a name. 
But when you begin to define the Hebrew meaning of the word basra, it means pin, pin for sheep. Now here's what God says through the prophet. You're going to be scattered and you're going to be taken and you're going into captivity and you're going to be conquered. But here's what's going to happen. I am going to regather you and I am going to bring you back to being one people again. And I am going to do tr- bring you together like sheep of the fold. It simply means this, that the people would be like sheep brought together in a pen for safekeeping. What does a shepherd do with sheep? He puts them in a pen. Why? So they don't get etched. So they don't get taken by foxes and wolves and everything else. Do you know what, Joe? God is saying, God is saying that I am going to bring my people together as one and I am going to bring them in safety. Now, some com- uh, commentators think that this is being fulfilled now in the church. But if it is being f- fulfilled now in, with the church, it simply means that Israel has been misled all these centuries since Abraham to think that she will inherit the land forever. God's going to give his people their land. This is not talking about the church where God's going to just bring us into the sheepfold. But it is kind of mentioned there, isn't it? This is a promise to the Jews. This is a promise to those who are going into captivity, have hope in God. As black and bleak as it is, have hope in God. He's going to send the king to come and bring you into safety. But take your Bibles real quick to John 10, 16. Is there anything in the New Testament that speaks of the sheepfold? Here's what the Lord says. John 10, 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. Let me read it to you this way. I have some other sheep too that are not of this sheepfold, but I must bring them also in. They will listen to my voice, and there will be one flock with one shepherd. And he is speaking of those who believe in Jesus Christ now. They will be brought in to that sheepfold. The picture of the sheepfold is safety. How beautiful is this, is this of a picture to a people who's going off into utter destruction. And God says, don't worry. I will save out a remnant. I will gather me a group of people together. I will bring you together into the sheepfold. And if you know Christ as Savior tonight, you are in that safety net, are you not? You're in that safety place. Listen, the truth and reality is this. If we stand in the armor of God, if we stand in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we stand prepared and and withstanding, Satan cannot hurt us, can he? He can throw his fiery darts. He can attack all he wants. But he really, truly does not have power over us, does he? Think about it. Only if we give in to the temptations. Only if we put down the armor of God. The Lord says, stand and withstand in that evil day. We are in that sheepfold. Number two, 
Not only does he say that I am going to gather me a remnant, I am going to assemble myself together a people. I will bring them united as one together. I will put them in the, the pen of safety. But number two, he says, I will also gather them as a flock in the midst of their fold. It's not actually talking again about the same thing as before, a, a, a sheepfold. That word fold is in my AV, but it actually means pasture. Does anybody have the word pasture? Dinah, Pat, no? What do you have? Ah, we're all King James tonight. Okay, it, it is the word pasture. What happens in the pasture with sheep? They eat. Sorry? Okay, wrong sheepfold. <laughs> I don't know where, I don't know what your pasture looks like. But When we lived up in Corby, we, we used to see a lot of pastures and a lot of sheep with blue bums and pink bums and all this other stuff. And, and uh, I made the mistake of one day asking my farmer friend what all that meant. And yeah, then he told me. But, but, <laughs> but, um. It was just grass, beautiful grass everywhere, and they just ate and ate and ate and ate. Now listen, don't miss the picture. Look what God said. If he gathers them in into the Basra, into the sheepfold for safety, he puts them also into a pasture. You Israelites, you Judites, you people, you've sinned against God. Judgment's coming. But guess what? He will send the king, and he's going to gather himself a people. And when he does, he's going to put you in safety. And when he does... He's also going to place you in the pasture. You know what that means? It simply means you will have satisfaction. You will be fed. You will be taken care of. I'm not talking like some of the, uh, the word of faith preachers say, you know, if you get, you get Jesus in your life, no problems happen, no sicknesses happen. You'll have plenty of money. Uh-uh. There is a satisfaction that the Lord God gives. Now, this verse is taken maybe a little bit out of the context of its writing, but the truth is still there. Psalms 107, verse 9. For he satisfies the longing soul, and he fills the hungry soul with goodness. Man, I don't know about you, but I cannot read scriptures like this and not just think of jesus christ when he says that he's going to put them into the pasture he says he's going to satisfy them what did jesus say do you remember his famous sermon in john chapter 6 go there with, with me real quick john chapter 6 verse 35 we, we the what the bread of life sermon yeah Listen to this. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. Satisfaction. He's not talking about hamburgers and milkshakes, is he? He's talking about the longing of the soul. Just like the psalmist said, he satisfies the longing soul. Jesus said, you come to me hungry spiritually spiritually in need and spiritually desirous 
I am bread. I am. What did he tell the lady at the, at the well, the woman at the well? If you knew who I was, you'd ask me to give you a drink, and I would give you what? Living water that will bubble up out of you. Amen? This is what the Messiah does. This is God. This is how he does. And yes, he had to bring judgment upon his people, and there were some innocent folk in that group that paid the price too. There were some innocent people that went off into captivity and judgment because of the sins of the, of the nation around them. But he said, I will gather you and I will assemble you and I will put you into the sheepfold of safety and I will put you into the pasture of satisfaction. And when we are in the safety of God and we, when we have the satisfaction of God, what does that bring out in a people? Say, Joy, and how does a people express their joy through what? Praise. Look at verse 12 again. He says, I'll put you together. I will put you in the sheepfold. I will put you into the uh, pasture. And then at the very end of verse 12, they shall make great noise by reason of a multitude of men. What is going on? He's gathering a group of people, and there's a bunch of them. And they're getting together, and the picture here is this. There's so many people gathered that there would be much noise, and that it would be the noise of praise and worship going on from within the people. Why? Because of what God is doing. Amen? I mean, do you not see that picture here in, in the Scripture? That's what Micah's telling them. He's, he's standing over there and he's saying, look, he's not really calling them to repentance, is he? He's telling them, you are going, but let me give you some hope while you go. Let me tell you what God's going to do. And then we get, so, in verse 12, they will be safe, they will be satisfied, and they will be a multitude of praising people because of the work of God. And in verse 13, to close up for this evening, we get to verse 13 and it says this. The breakers is come up before them. They have broken up, have passed through the gate, gone out by it. Their king shall pass before them and the Lord on the head of them. In, in a little bit simpler English, it says the one who breaks will open. The one the one who breaks open will come up before them and they will break out. They will pass through the gate and they will go by it. And their king will pass before them with the Lord at their head. I'm going to break this verse down in a couple of different sections. Number one, in this verse we have titles of a king. And better yet, we have titles of the Messiah. All right? Real simple and I won't go into great detail. But, but listen, the very first one, it says he the one who breaks. What if you are a if you build a house, what are you called? A builder. One who breaks is called the breaker. And in Hebrew, this means the breaker. And simply what Micah was telling him 
You're going into captivity and you will be in prison and you will be under judgment of these, of these heathen people. But here's the one that comes, the one who breaks. The breaker will break through all barriers which confine and impede his people. And what he's saying is the king who is coming, the Messiah who is coming, will be a breaker of the bonds that you are in. Number two, he will be their king. Joel, if you're going off into slavery, wouldn't it be wonderful hope to know that you have a king of your own? It won't be a king of the people. It won't be a king from a foreign land. But it is their king. And in the Hebrew, what it means is this, that this king is one of you. Who who does that speak of? That speaks of Jesus Christ. The Messiah who comes from that people. He is one of them and he is one with them. You don't go, you, you, you might be going alone, but you won't be alone. Because your king, your king is coming with you. And he is a breaker of the bonds and the chains and the shackles and the kingdoms that are binding you in. And he will break through and he will be your king. King, And then thirdly, Micah tells the people who are going off that he is the Hashem. Okay? What does Hashem mean, Andrew? Right. It is, it is, uh, okay, uh, it's not what the commentators define it as, but here's how I'll help you with it. It's like slang in some ways. And in, because they would not say God, G-O-D, they'd probably G-D, G-D, or, or Y-H-V-H, or something of that nature. They would condense it down, and they would not speak the name of God. So they came up with Hashem, which means the name. Okay? And it speaks of God. It speaks of their king. And here's what the, the Jewish Bible says. The Jewish Bible will actually have the word Hashem in this verse. We, in English, we translate it the Lord. But here's the emphasis. The Hashem, the Lord, they would also probably say Adonai. And here's what they are meaning. The Redeemer is coming. The Lord emphasizes the role of redeemer, purchasing back. You are in slavery, but he will purchase you back. And we are born into slavery, are we not? We are slaves to sin. We are bound by death itself. And because of the work of Christ on the cross, he has bought us back. The Bible says he has bought us with his blood. There shall There is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. And that is what Christ has done for us. And so Micah is giving hope to these people. He is going to be the breaker of your bonds. He is going to be your king from you as a people and with you as a people. And he will redeem you from this. And what is it that he's going to do? In verse 13, it says that he goes up before them. Do you see it in your text? It's a military idiom. It's a military statement. And it simply means that he will lead into battle. 
What did Jesus do on the cross? He led into battle, did he not? He fought the forces of hell by taking the wrath of God poured out upon him. Back in Genesis 3.15, and this is where I get like so frustrated sometimes with Jewish people. Can't you see it? But no, they're blind. Genesis 3.15 says, God says to Satan, the seed of that woman who you just beguiled into temptation and sin, he is going to come and crush your head. He, do you know, remember we've talked about that before. To crush the head means to destroy the power of. Christ destroyed the power of Satan on that cross. He gone up before then. He led into battle and defeated their foe. And the Bible in verse 13 says, not only did he go up before them, that, but he also goes on before them. Different meaning. To go on before them means to pass before them. It has the idea that he continues to lead them even after he led them victoriously through the, through the ranks of the enemy. There's going to come a time when the Messiah, the Redeemer, Christ himself, will gather himself a remnant and place it all together, united together. Sheep from the fold that was not of the fold will be of the fold. Folks, that's you and I, amen? That's us Gentile people. And we will be brought into that fold and he not only had gone before, but he will stay on before. He will simply continue to lead. He will continue to be there. Can I tell you though, tonight, Christ is before us, leading us still. He doesn't forsake us. He doesn't leave us. He goes on before, victoriously through the ranks of the enemy. Then thirdly, so the Messiah goes up before them. He goes on before them. And look at the very end of very first 13. And it says, and the Lord is on the head of them. He is the head. If in Genesis, the crushing of the head means destroying the power of Satan, what does it mean for for this king, for this Hashem, for the Lord, the Redeemer, to be the head of them? He's all all powerful. He is in all control. Amen. God is in control. He is in total control of every situation. The sovereignty of God is is true, is it not? Nothing happens without God allowing it. Nothing goes past unless God says it can go past. God is in total control. So, what does this future leader do? What does this Messiah do for the people? First, because he battled through the enemy... They have, they have broken through and passed through the great gate. They are freed from their captor. This is the gate of the prison in which, we're, in which they were held captive. Two, two correlations there. The physical captivity of those people, the Israelites and the Judahites in captivities, but also the spiritual captivity of the people that, of, of, of humanity. And, and the Bible says here that he will go up and he will break the gate of the prison in which held them captive. And Christ did that on the cross, did he not? 
He broke the gate of our captivity. He freed us from sin and death when we placed our faith in Him. And then the Bible says there that they will go out thereat into the freedom of the Hashem, into the freedom of the Lord, into the freedom of Adonai, into the freedom of the Redeemer. And then I close with 1 Corinthians 15. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus destroyed the power of Satan, which is sin, death, hell. But he also fulfilled the law, did he not? Christ is everything. Now, just think about this. If you were a Jewish guy, a Jewish family, a Jewish people going into captivity, and you had ears to hear and eyes to see the truth, and you saw this, you would have hope, would you not? This is hope. This is Christ. This is our Messiah. Amen? Amen. Any questions? Yes, Andrew.